this is Rachel McElroy. Hello, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. Coming down the home stretch. That was the car that we're in coming down the home stretch of the Indy 500? What's the number? That sounds right. Because they, they go, do they do it 500 times? They go around the lap 500 times? That's, okay. That seems like way too many times. Uh, sure, I don't know, maybe. You're telling me you've never watched NASCAR? Does that really surprise you? No, it doesn't. <laughs> I think I've only watched it a couple times, but that didn't stop me from having a like a Jeff Gordon fathead on my wall uh, grow, growing up. I don't know why. My, I think this, my dad just really wanted yeah. to buy a fathead, and he saw one with Jeff Gordon. He's like, I bet Griffin likes cars. And or, and this is something I'm finding that the McElroys perhaps didn't realize a lot as children. This is perhaps something he received for free That's through the radio thing. station. That is definitely, <laughs> actually, definitely what happened. Of all the racers, though, why Jeff Gordon? That, that you know, that Papa John's looking... <laughs> little, little guy. I expect he was very good. He was quite good. He may still be good. I don't know anything about NASCAR or, who, or who's still doing it, but Jeff Gordon just always seemed like kind of a narc to me. But <laughs> this is <laughs> this is our NASCAR podcast. This is our new NASCAR podcast. It's called it's it's well, it's still called Wonderful. We can't change the name of the show again. Checkered Flag. They let ooh, that's not bad. They <laughs> they only let you change the name of your podcast once, <laughs> and we already did it. So um, yeah, yeah, this is wonderful now, and it's a show where we talk about things that we like, things that we're into, and sometimes we start out the show by talking about a small wonder. You got any of those? Wow, wow. You really tapped into that radio. Yeah, radio well, voice. here I am thinking about thinking about getting a free uh, <laughs> Jeff Gordon fathead from TCR and. It's got me in the zone. Mm. Uh, I'll say just having places where you can donate items. Sure. Um, we have recently, as we have mentioned perhaps on the show, undergone some transformation in our house due to significant flooding. Yeah. Uh, and have had to kind of reevaluate what we want to keep given our smaller amount of space available. Yeah. And it is nice to know that instead of just putting something in a landfill... I yeah. can perhaps give it so to somebody that needs it. Yeah. Which makes me feel a lot better uh, and, you know, hopefully helps somebody out. Sure. I I want to piggyback off that with my small wonder, which is the decision we finally made to get rid of our DVDs. We finally, <laughs> like, and, and I say we, you've been on, you've been Thank ready you. for a long time. But me, Thank I'm you. like, I don't know, man, maybe I will want to watch, you know, the, the uh, recent Star Trek you can't get the bonus Blu-ray. features necessarily. This is this is this a concern is imp- I have. This is important. I'll be honest. There's a few like box sets that I don't like. Uh, the Lord of the Rings box set with like the yeah. enhanced. Like I know I, I, I'll, I'll hang on to those, but like it. I don't need physical media anymore. We haven't had a Blu-ray player, a DVD player hooked up to a TV. I guess we have the PlayStation, but like. What am I going to do with this stuff? It's it's uh, yeah. having having a significant portion of your house flood. It really kind of forces your hand vis a vis, like making those those tough Marie Kondo decisions. Yeah, and... I mean the argument is always there that they don't take up a lot of space, right? And, and they do have those little you know special guys that makes you think maybe I shouldn't I shouldn't give this up because what if I can't find it digitally? Right. You know, but that's not everything's digital now. But I've never like at nine o'clock at night thought like, oh my gosh, if I can't watch the director's commentary on this film, right? I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah, you know, and that that lack of urgency suggests something. It says a lot. 
so yeah, I am also excited to have that space back. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about my first thing, if okay. I may. Please. My first thing is the first time Tony Hawk hit the 900, uh, <laughs> which we all remember where we were. What What's your Tony Hawk hit the 900 story? Because we all oh, have one. Oh, man. This was, uh, to, to, to help you jog your memory, this would have been the summer of uh, 99, June 1999. Oh, so uh, you were like you were sitting, I guess, at a friend's house watching Gosh, TV. Well, or... I was I was going into my senior year of high school. Right, I was probably at band camp. Yeah, you know, oh, they let you watch it. Like we some... all would have been huddled around the TV. I'm sure. Right. Maybe somebody was was tuning their clarinet. And you were like, keep it down. <laughs> no, I don't even know what you're talking about. I know who oh, Tony Hawk great. is, which makes me unique uh, because I, he's always talking about how people don't recognize him. I love this. I've been thinking about <laughs> Tony Hawk a lot lately because it's the kind of brand that I find desirable when I enter my 50s. Yeah. I would love to have the sort of, uh, he, he is like a forgotten legend warrior Nomad. He has the most charming stories of going to various skate parks and having kids roll up to him and be like, what's your name? And he's like, oh, Tony. And they're like, <laughs> like Tony Hawk. And he's like, yeah. Yeah. They like, they he has no a, his best who he is. is like somebody <laughs> mentioned skateboarding and the guy who's talking to was like, oh, like Tony Hawk. And Tony was like, yeah, that's me. And the guy said, I wonder what Tony Hawk's up to right now. And then it was like <laughs> this right now. I'm talking to you right now. Okay. Anyway, so it was the summer before the first Tony Hawk's pro skater came out. But I remember being like sort of into skateboarding as a concept Back back then, even I feel like this was the era where like skateboarding was starting to be a thing that, uh, you know, yeah. cult had made sort of broader cultural uh, footholds, and everybody was talking about this X Games 1999 and how Tony Hawk was going to finally do the 900. The 900 is two and a half rotations, right? One rotation in the air is 360. Two rotations is 720. 900 is plus 180 onto that. Which so is the idea is when you say the rotations, they like go up a ramp and then they spin around. They spin around two and a half times and then and they land. They have to land it and stay okay. on the board. Okay. Um, up to this point, up until 1999, the history of the 900 was was hotly debated. There was a skater named Danny Way who had apparently landed it about 10 years prior in 1989, but the video that like showed it was kind of... Uh, the authenticity was debated. And after after the X Games, Tony Hawk had a quote where he said, he was shown in a video almost 10 years ago. He was really close, but he didn't make it. He came the closest by far, but they cut the video before he fell. So it may have misled some people. <laughs> it went into like a Happy Meal toy commercial. And they yeah. were like, wait a minute, did he finish? Did he not finish? He said, there are only four people who have been able to spin completely. And he's one of them. Taz Pappas and uh, Rob Boyce have also spun it, but they haven't landed it. So like even... Turning two and a half times in the air is hard enough, let alone trying to land it. And nobody had like done it publicly. Yeah. So this X Games, like people were going wild. It was the uh, biggest trick competition on the vert ramp. And he, you know, went down and like the crowd was huge. Like there, it was standing room only. Like everybody was there to see this historical thing happen. Most of the skaters there were like 
totally amped for him. Like there's videos of them all like banging their skateboards against the half pipe, like in unison, like just like a war drum. Uh, and so he goes down and he goes up and he gets the rotations, but he can't land it. And then he tries again and gets very, very close, but he can't land it. And he blows past his regulation time limit. And oh. they let him keep going. Wow. Which there were some skaters who were not wild about that. <laughs> but he tries and fails to land the 900 10 times. Oh, my Chomping gosh. it every time until finally he goes up, spins two and a half times, lands down, like windmills his arms, barely grazes the ramp, like with his fingertips and stays upright. And everybody just like loses it. Everybody just wow. explodes. Uh, and I remember watching it. I saw it live on TV. You did? Okay. I wasn't and, sure if that was a goof or not. Uh, and it was so cathartic because you really wanted to see it. But after 10 failed attempts and him going past his time limit, you think like, oh, well, this, okay, well, then it's not going to happen. So much so that it almost <laughs> like took us by surprise when yeah. he finally managed to stay upright. Because that's the thing. I mean, that's the thing. Anytime like an athlete of any kind gets repeated attempts, you right. think like, it's just got to be getting harder. Right, yeah. The more times that you put your body through this. But here's the thing. He didn't win the event because he was past regulation time. <laughs> so he did not win the biggest trick, uh, the best trick event. Uh, and, you know, that was that was how this history got made. He's only been able to land this trick publicly a few times. Uh, one of which I think was back in 2014. There was a game that came out called Tony Hawk Ride that had like a board peripheral that you stood on to like do the t- it was a mess it was a it was not a great game but in the promo like promo for for that game he managed to do it again and then his most recent one uh in 2016 he posted a video of him wow. landing a 900 at the age of 48 oh and he my said gosh. that's it like this is my last <laughs> i'm not going to be able to do this trick again that was my last 900 yeah. um and only if like it's not a trick everyone can do, even to this day. Like, it is still an incredibly rare trick to see yeah. executed. And I don't know. It was, it's rad seeing a, like, sports barrier, or really any kind of barrier, r- broken like that in such a, like, singular, like, crystallized fashion. Like, that trick hadn't been done before. And everybody wanted this one guy to do it. And then he fucking did it. And then it had been done before. And watching that, I mean, it was, you know, in a very, very niche way, like a historic thing. And it just so happened that that historic thing was also a badass skateboard trick. uh, That was, yeah, it's just a very, very, it was a very cool moment that I was glad I got to glad I got to see. so wild to think about like of of somebody who reaches a level of ability where they're like this thing doesn't exist right but I'm gonna figure it out right no it was debated whether or not he could even do it yeah yeah. and of course like this was summer of 1999 Tony Hawk's Pro Skater the first one launched in September 1999 so this just fucking launched it like into space there's a reason why there have been 50 Tony Hawk's Pro Skater games and it's because (laughs) I feel like this this one X Games helped sort of put it over the top. Yeah, no, this of course makes me think of figure skating. Yeah, and you know the the triple axel and, right. and, and all the people going for it and it being like the big thing that that you were trying to do and there were only a certain number of people who could do it. Right, but, but like you can get real momentum on ice. Yeah, sure. It seems like it would be harder to do that. Yes, you know? absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> on a ramp. Hey, what's your first thing? Uh, my first thing is the. The Muppet classic performance of Menomina, uh, dated 1969. I feel like our Muppet media consumption has kind of skyrocketed lately. 
Oh, yeah? Well, I, I guess, you, yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, Henry really enjoys the song Rainbow Connection, yeah. uh, and he enjoys Kermit. Yeah. He's watched a little bit of Muppet Babies. Mm-hmm. The Muppet movies themselves move a little slow for his taste. Doesn't care for that bit, no. We have been like, every once in a while, we kind of sprinkle a little Muppet consumption in to see if he's ready. Yeah. Uh, and he's still kind of the person who only wants to watch the, uh, you know, the musical performances. Right. I don't know that we've shown him Menomina yet. Have we? I don't think so. No. Yeah. I sing him Rainbow Connection. I say I sing him. We sing it together at this point because he's heard it so many times before bed every night. And it's so cute because my favorite line in that song is also his favorite line because he always sings it twice as loud as the rest (laughs) of the song. And it's in the second verse where he goes, what's so amazing that keeps us stargazing. You like really like it's a good rhyme. We have to record that, we by have the way. To, yeah. Every like I can hear it sometimes through the ceiling and it's it's, it's just a, the most charming good, thing yeah. ever. So this uh, Menomina is a performance that uh kind of exists on its own. It's not like in a Muppet film. It first appeared on Sesame Street and then they kind of went on to repeat it uh, in, you know, the Muppet Show, and the and then an appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show. Not really any recognizable characters, no. right? No, it's not like Grover's in it or right. anything. You know, it's like it's characters designed specifically for this sketch, and right. that th- that wasn't too uncommon. You know, Jim Henson's early stuff was usually just like little sketches, right? On uh, talk shows, uh, I didn't realize it is an Italian song. Menomina? yeah. Uh, it was actually by Italian composer Piero Umilani. Uh, oh, that sounded really authentic, babe. He's <laughs> a Tuscan musician. Uh, he composed scores for exploitation films in the 60s and 70s, okay. including spaghetti westerns and, as this article states, softcore sex films. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and, and Sesame Street. <laughs> Um, the song appeared in an Italian film called Svezia, uh, Inferno e Paradiso, okay. uh, which was Sweden, heaven and hell. Uh, and it's a scene where Swedish models crowd into a sauna wearing bath towels. Uh, and it appeared in the soundtrack for that film. Uh, so this was, uh, this was the origin of Menomina. That's wild. I, I mean, thought for sure. It, it's got kind of a jazzy, like. Sexy. Yeah. No. <laughs> It doesn't have a sexy. It's phenomenon. In the in the version, and you can find this too, by the way. This this original version, uh, it's got it's got that kind of time period, you know, jazzy quality. Okay, but I was hoping you could play a little. Oh, a of little course. Excerpt. Well, do you want the the Sesame I want, Street I version? I want the Muppet version. Okay. <laughs> well, here it comes. Phenomena. Phenomena. Uh, so the the one I am familiar with um, actually came later. The original Muppet version involved a character named Bip Bipadota, uh, which first aired on Sesame Street in 1969. That sounds like some George Lucas <laughs> bullshit of like a character that's in like the Cantina band. Uh, <laughs> it does. I don't know if it was like a nod. It was like a oversimplification of a, like a nod to its Italian yeah, I don't know. origins. But it was just like, it was these two little girl Muppets 
uh, Frank Oz was involved and Jim Henson was involved. And uh, the male character is more of like a like a beatnik type. Yeah. Uh, and the female singers are kind of like less. They're uh, like alien. They're kind of like the alien. Well, no, this thing. is the first one. Oh. This is the first one. The first airing is just like two little girls and this guy. And they just all want to sing a song together. It's less disruptive. Okay. Uh, the one that that we're familiar with, yeah, is like the two alien puppets uh, called Snoths. Snoths are they the same ones from the like that that? Oh God! Oh no! I'm thinking of like the little fuzzy aliens that go like me me me. Yeah, they me, look me, very similar. Yeah. So that's the 1976 version that okay. we're the most familiar with. Twin monsters called Snoths, uh, a combination of snout and mouth. Okay, uh, so snouts, snouts, <laughs> snouts. Yeah, probably snouts. Um, and that's more disruptive. The the male singer, who is not named, now known affectionately as Menomina, uh, appears to kind of run in and disrupt the the snout singing. Okay. I see. But yeah, this is something you, they've actually like they've referenced on like an old episode of the UK version of The Office. Um, also, Wynton Marsalis uh, did a live cover at Lincoln Center. That's great. <laughs> which is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Cake, the band Cake, has done a version of this song. I just, I don't know. I remember kind of rediscovering it in high school and just being kind of delighted by it. It's super catchy um, and charming, and I wanted to talk about it. I'm glad you did. I wonder how many of our listeners like haven't ever heard Menomina before. I imagine there's some of them at least, right? Yeah, it just feels like one of those things that people just know about. Um, but I may be wrong about that. Yeah. Hey, can I steal you away? Yes. Even please. Thank you. It can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, there's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis-a-vis, um, website design or website functionality. And you think that I could never be that. I could never be among their illustrious ranks. Griffin, if I wanted to build a website where I ranked my favorite episodes of Ghostwriter, would I be able to do that? Well, first of all, it would be the same list as everybody else's with the Julia Stiles episode at the top. But yes, you can do that with Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Do you want to have special functionality, like maybe a members-only VIP club section of your website? You can do that. Do you want to sell stuff? Yeah, you can do that too. Do you want to have an online scheduler so that people, you you can sell uh, your time yeah you can do that also anything is possible that's um there for the commercial the super bowl commercial they had that was my voice yelling anything is possible in wow the yeah not a lot of people know that hey head to squarespace.com slash wonderful pod for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use offer code wonderful pod to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain griffin yeah you know it's a shame what is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you, they can only be for dinner. That's true because of the law. But wait, wait, what's this coming across our desk? The law is different now? <laughs> it's factor. 
These rebels are operating outside the boundaries of food law. <laughs> Factor has breakfast. They have midday bites. They have smoothies. Uh, there's lots of stuff you can get with Factor. What other things can you get with Factor? Well, I'm looking at this menu right now. They got a lot of tasty little options for you. I'm talking about artichoke and spinach chicken with roasted zucchini and tomato butter. Did you even know that butter could be tomato? <laughs> Not me. Shredded chicken and loaded mashed taters. With, I changed the word. They say potatoes, but I said taters, precious. With mushroom <laughs> gravy, smoked cheddar, uh, bacon, and Parmesan broccoli. Uh, this this menu is out of sight, and my mouth is just watering looking at these glossy JPEGs of tasty food. So head to factormeals.com slash wonderful50 and use code wonderful50 to get 50% off. That's code wonderful50 at factormeals.com slash wonderful50 to get 50% off. Oh my gosh, we have Lumbo Brahms here. And I'm going to read the first one because the first one was sent in uh, by Whitney S. And it's for Lauren W. Whitney says, happiest of birthdays to my favorite for all intents and purposes, sister-in-law. Uh, hopefully hearing happy birthday from these good, good people will make up for not spending your 30th on a private island in Belize. We will celebrate big time soon. I couldn't come up with anything particularly funny to say, so I'll just say cheers to a great year. Mm. Hey. You and I have a particular sympathy for these spring birthdays that are going into round two. Going into round two of COVID, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. Where you're like, oh, I really thought by this year I'd be able to do do it up wild, but here we are. That just means... That birthday season 2022, we're going to go triple in the paint. Like, we're going to go really, we're going to, that one's going to be unsurvivable. That one's going to be some deep impact level, like, cataclysmic of birthday event. It's going to be. There's going to be a new leading cause of of serious illness, and it is going to be birthday parties. It's going to be this, our, particularly speaking, our birthday party, our joint <laughs> three years saved up birthday party. Uh, can I read the next message? Yep. This is for future Kaylin from past Kaylin. What up? I know when this airs, you'll be living your best life, hopefully in a much better place than before. Remember those who love you and give yourself a little bit of that love too. Kick some serious butt, please. So polite. I like that please at the it end. It is. Yeah, when you're asking anyone, even yourself, to do something as important as kicking a serious butt, use manners. <laughs> There's no reason not to. I'm grateful that Max Fun gave enough characters that they could slide that in at yeah, the end. Yeah, me too. They're generous, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Hey, folks, it's me, James Arthur M., host of Minority Corner, your home through these wild times for weekly doses of pop culture, history, news, nerdy stuff, and more through a BIPOC queer and allied lens. I already took you back in time through one time machine. We're going back even further. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my God. Ooh, here we go. I'm holding on. I know it seems scary because now we're in the 1830s. I know. No, we I hold on. Like that fine. Continuing along on the White People's Apology Tour, Justin Timberlake. That is Minority <laughs> Corner. Like, having those difficult conversations, those necessary conversations. This is now the moment for, for, for white people to be rising up and going, this is our problem. So join me and some of your new BFFs every Friday here on Maximum Fun to stay informed, empowered, and have some fun. Minority Corner, because together, we're the majority. Hey, I'm going to talk about my second thing, and it's uh, it's it's going to be pretty fast because uh, it's a very visual thing, and I'm not great at talking about those because hearing somebody describe visual things on a podcast <laughs> is not the most fun thing in the world. But okay. 
I'm going to talk about Photoshop whoopsies. Photoshop. <laughs> I don't want to say Photoshop fails, but there's not really a great. It's like a pretty succinct way of describing. It's like codified. That's what you say when people when you mess up a Photoshop, yeah. or you more specifically you catch a Photoshop that has been altered in some way, either you know by a, a person who's just trying to stoke their ego a little bit, or by a company who is trying to sell you goods and services uh, by way of altered imagery. Uh, I just love this shit. It's very, very it's good. It's intoxicating. I think maybe it's because editing photos is inherently a bit deceptive, especially when used for sort of commercial purposes. And catching uh, uh, someone in the act like that has a feeling, it has like a sense of justice to it. Like, <laughs> ah, you thought you could lie to me, but you can't because I saw through it. And also, I guess, just sort of like, as a visual humor like mechanism, it can be extremely good to see how badly uh, editors can truly fuck up the human form uh, by way of of editing. Just like thinking about somebody opening up their computer like Snidely Whiplash, like, I know, I'll use computers to make myself seem like I have a six-pack. So there's a few different sort of broad categories, I feel like, of these kind of, of Photoshop whoopsies. And the first one is just like where uh, an editor drags and drops something into a photo where it wasn't before, like a credit card that just kind of like hovers over a model's hand because they wanted yeah. the credit card to be bigger in the photo. Or there's a great one I saw today of a car driving down this windy road, but the car is clearly taken from like a very high resolution indoor <laughs> like stock photograph yeah. and doesn't look anything doesn't look like it's in the same dimension as as the road that it is driving on yeah. in the background um those are great to me because sometimes also you can get fucked up senses of scale which is very funny to me uh that i i saw one of a a party of people holding a selfie stick to like take a picture of themselves but the selfie stick was going in like they were holding it towards themselves. <laughs> but the photo you could see on the camera was still far away. So like that's impossible that that could work like that. There was one of a family watching a movie on the console of a car. But they seemed like the family was like 14 inches tall <laughs> sitting in this m monstrous vehicle uh, or like an outdoor grill that is sold on Amazon where the grill is bigger than the family trying to use it. <laughs> and it's like... This is something I always assumed didn't happen as much. You know, like if it felt really excusable kind of at the beginning of photo editing. But I kind of figured this didn't really happen anymore. No, it and happens clearly, so much. Clearly it still happens a lot. Because I think folks try to do a lot of promotional materials themselves because they feel cocky. I can use Photoshop. If I tried to Photoshop a promotional material, it would look like this. It would look very bad. It's just that I don't have the kind of hubris to think I could do this, not I should pay somebody who actually has the skills to do this. Yeah, well. yeah, it is a little prohibitive, you know, like I think the, these companies probably reach out to like, quote, experts in right. the field, not really having any understanding of what's involved. And they're like, well, that's probably what it's supposed to look like. Yes. Uh, the <laughs> second sort of broad category is typically it involves like models and it also involves the complete either removal or yeah. duplication of their limbs. 
uh, which I think is satisfying to catch those because of the sort of way that photoshops have been used to maybe paint a an unrealistic uh standard of of beauty that has been detrimental let's say to the fabric of society so seeing a whoopsie like this is pretty astonishing and and incredible to me uh there's a vanity fair series of photo shoots that they do with just like a bunch of celebrities wearing nice clothes just kind of piled yeah. up together yeah, yeah. and i feel like those you can always find like whose yeah. ankle is that there's a great one that Annie Leibovitz actually shot. I don't know if she, you know, I don't know how the post production on photography yeah. like that works, but there's a, a a couple photos of, and for whatever reason, it's always Reese Witherspoon has just like <laughs> eight legs. <laughs> Like so many legs, too many legs. Uh, there's a great poster from the movie Ready Player One of like the protagonist and he's climbing down a ladder on the side of the photo. And one of his legs stretches down like two lungs and it's, oh, or rungs and it's longer than the rest of his body, like twice as long. <laughs> he has this one monster leg. Uh, those are just, those are more rewarding to me, I think, because they're harder to spot. Like, yeah, it's kind of fun what happens in your brain because yes. I, you always feel that very specific, like, wait, that, no, that isn't the, the light purport. You're like, you're like figuring it out. You're like doing the calculations in your head. Like, is that possible? I don't think it is. I feel like the poster of my brother, my brother and me, the CISO put together, my arm looks a little bit. My arm looks a little bit wild. Justin's head looks a little bit. It was definitely photoshopped. Like I, I have my arm on Travis's shoulder, and it seems like a pretty wild angle. But Justin's head—I mean, no, Justin's head doesn't look like that. Fully doesn't look like that. Yeah, y'all have had a, a number of like kind of professional photos taken. That yeah. has to be one of the worst. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I mean, the photo is great. It's just Justin's head is. Just, anyway, uh, the last <laughs> camp is what I call Dad's first Photoshop, which somehow just gets published for everybody to see, and it's just like what what it's so bad. What were you what were you thinking? How could any? I want to be in the room where that got approved to go. I feel like yeah. college admission. Uh, like brochures always have like copied and pasted crowds of people like they're in the yeah. background of like a Madden video game yeah. where it's just like the same 10 people over and over and over again. Uh, there's one that I saw today where I was just like looking up the best sort of Photoshop mistakes. And there's one of a uh, a book uh, that I guess you can get on Amazon called The Ultimate Guide to Dog Breeds, which has just this blue sky background on the front. And then th this just really dopey looking golden retriever, like looking up and at an angle into the sky. And they've just sort of copied and pasted that exact face on that exact dog, like three times side by side. <laughs> it's really, really incredible. And it's like, it represents a level of, of, uh, confidence in one's technical like skills and one's computer skills that just doesn't reflect what is reality. That's just oh my god! I it's could very nice. I could drink it up. Yeah, um, yeah. That's it. I don't have much else to say. It's just one of those things. There are very few sort of internet funny things that when I see them, I am tickled by them every time. Yeah. And I feel like Photoshop mistakes because of the sense of justice you get in in, <laughs> in pointing out these mis these deceptions is uh, ooh good. Yeah, every time always satisfies. What's your second thing? Uh, my second thing is is something that is relatively new to me, and that is maker spaces. Yeah, I don't know that. Oh, mm -hmm. like like places where people go get together and make stuff. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's, I mean, it's pretty it's straightforward. Right, what it says there on the tin, huh? <laughs> yeah, this is something I didn't really learn about until I was working at the community college I'm at now. And there began to be this like funding push of like people, like faculty approaching me saying like, there is funding available if you want to start or support a makerspace and me having to kind of learn about what that is. Right. And what, you know, makes something fit that category. And so I did a little research to kind of figure out like where this came from. You know, some of this came up in the TV show Making It, which we really liked a lot. Yeah. With Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman. Uh, This idea of like getting back to this, creating things with your hands, you know, and being and being completely creative and original and and learning new skills to do something. Because I think that that feels unique for our generation, maybe not as much for the one after because our generation's big push was computers. Yeah. Like the big push was like, you're not doing anything by hand anymore. Like everything is going to be on the computer. Like right. feed these virtual fish. Like <laughs> you don't, you don't need a hammer. Get rid of the hammer. Everything's on the computer now. And so we kind of learned technology and now there's this push of like, well, let's still use technology, but let's use it to solve problems and work collaboratively and and make things. And this is something that is not that old. There's so there is a uh, a magazine called Make Magazine that uh, started in 2005 that kind of encouraged people to gain new skills and start hobbies and and build these communities. California held the first Maker Fair after that. And then it's actually President Obama uh, in 2009 started an Educate to Innovate campaign uh, where he said, I want us all to think about new and creative ways to engage young people in science and engineering, whether it's science festivals, robotics competitions, fairs that encourage young people to create and build and invent, to be makers of things, not just consumers of things. And that movement in 2009 the first Maker Fair at the White House was in 2014, and that's kind of when you started to see this like national push. Yeah. So it was less in these like hubs of innovation and more like everybody can do this. Part of it too was kind of the democratization of of these cool new technologies that people didn't have. Right. At yeah. Home. 3D printers and workshops and labs in these open spaces so that people could come and use these tools that they couldn't afford on their own right. and kind of create things together. In 2014, there was a maker movement manifesto, which was published that identified the nine fundamentals of the maker movement, which include make, share, give, learn, tool up, play, participate, support, and change. So it was just this idea of like, you know, you don't have to have this like super fancy education or the, the income that will get you access to these things. You know, that there is an opportunity for people to come together regardless of like class or, or background and kind of create these new things that solve problems yeah. and kind of add value. That's awesome. Um, this is also something like there are hacker spaces. Sure, yeah. And something called Fab Labs, which started at MIT. It was actually in 2002 they opened the first Fab Lab, um, which is exactly what I said is to democratize the tools for students uh, 
you know, at a place like MIT, like that, that would be a tremendous opportunity for a lot of people. But the idea of designing, fabricating, testing, debugging, monitoring, analysis, documentation, um, the college I work at has started this whole kind of movement around this. And and so at, at the college I work at, we call them incubators. Mm. And so they have like a biotechnology incubator and a fashion incubator, and they're getting ready to open a, a manufacturing incubator. And it's this idea that these startups that don't have access to the, the best equipment or the, you know, the commercial space can come use these places. And so let's get a big hen to just sit right on them, <laughs> right? Until um, <laughs> technology comes out. I know. The incubator term like has become very popular and we, we have definitely run with it. But yeah, I, I think thinking about it as like a STEM opportunity is is cool too because if you think about it when you're a kid – you're doing more of the hands-on stuff, you know, like you're making the Rube Goldberg machine, you know, you're like dropping the egg from the roof, you know, you're like trying stuff and doing it in a very accessible way. And then I feel like by the time you get to high school, it's just like textbooks and memorizing equations and you kind of lose that connection to it. Uh, And the creativity that like gets people interested in science in the first place. And so this idea that there's like this movement around this and it's like giving people access to the tools and they can use the AutoCAD software and the laser cutter and they can like figure out what they want to make with other people that are equally excited. Like that's that's huge yeah, for, sure. for STEM in particular. Uh, and so, yeah, they, there's a lot of libraries or kind of big locations for this, you know, anywhere like where the public can gather. I mean, you'll see a lot of them on college campuses, but the library thing is cool too because it kind of removes that that kind of a uh, uh, gatekeeper higher education element um and I just thought it was cool that I wanted awesome. to I wanted to share that because I, I feel like you know our our education swung so far in the direction of like you're never gonna have to use your hands right, again yeah <laughs> and so it's cool to see that kind of swing back of like well no wait a minute like we should probably still use our hands yeah <laughs> Uh, Hey, can I tell you what our friends at home are talking about? Yeah. Lily says, one thing I find wonderful are those Coke machines with the touchscreens that you might find at movie theaters or fast food places. Just the amount of drink options you have is so delightful, and the weird alternate flavors are so funny, like Lime Fanta. Of course, I always use them to get high C. They have them in every dining hall on my campus. Wow. I do like those. I feel like I've had very limited exposure to them. I feel like it's mainly is like the purview of, uh, you know when you go inside a fast food restaurant or yeah. I don't even know that I've had access to it at the movie theaters. I feel like a Taco Bell is the first time a I've Taco ever Bell seen is that. definitely going to, I always that. do get nervous if there's like a line of people in front of me. I'm like, Oh my gosh, who knows how long this is going to take? Cause yeah. everybody wants to like chop and screw. Everybody wants to be <laughs> scroll soft through drink Picasso. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Lindsay says, small wonder when you pick the exact right size Tupperware for the amount of leftovers you have, I'm always tempted to pick a bigger one just to be safe. But when I pick the smaller one, and it fits just right, it feels like a Goldilocks slam dunk. Oh my gosh, I've been meaning to talk to you about this, Griffin. Uh-oh, what's wrong? I feel like your your Tupperware choices are too large. Yeah, well, we have a lot of large Tupperwares. But also, <laughs> I don't want to messy two small Tupperwares because <laughs> I'm, I, you know, my spatial, like, awareness skills are limited. You know what I mean? I guess I, guess I just want you to be better. I, I can't believe you elected to have this fight on the air what's that say about you 
Golly. Uh, hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to our show. Thank you to Bowen and Augustus for the use of our theme song, Money Won't Pay. You can find a link to that in the episode description. And thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on that network. They got yeah. a bunch of great shows. And, and new shows. New shows. Yeah, Depression yeah. Mode. Uh, I'm excited Rose. about that one. I actually used to listen to Hilarious World of Depression. And if you are a fan of that show, this is that same guy. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, we have other stuff at Family. We got merch. We got all kinds of stuff. Uh, we are, what, two weeks out now from uh, Delivery Day. Of our new of our new baby, although, you know, if and to use an expression that you use, uh, you know, if if the if the creek if the creek don't rise, God willing, and the creek don't rise, two weeks out, two weeks out, but <laughs> who knows? Henry wasn't on time, so creek seems to be rising a little bit every creek day. Creek is rising quite a bit. <laughs> um, so we, we've got some stuff prepared. We're going to do our best to keep the content flowing. Yeah, we have already recorded a few a bit of- extra episodes. If you missed our live show, look forward to the recording of that, yeah. too. We'll be sharing that. And, uh, yeah. So pumped for the future. It's going to be a new day around here, you know? And I'm ready to open my heart up to new possibilities. <laughs> We've New been, adventures. We've been watching a lot of reality television That's lately. That's true. Which I th- may may explain your language choice right now. <laughs> it's I'm ready to open my eyes to the possibilities. Begin this journey. To begin this journey. We're going to have to do diapers again. Yeah. Fuck. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.